Welcome to Women Who Move Nations, a podcast by the Public Transport Association Australia, New Zealand. Each episode, we interview a top female executive from the public transport sector in Australia, New Zealand and around the world. If you're interested in leadership, workplace gender equality or building clean, green transport for the future, this is the podcast for you. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Women Who Move Nations, the public transport podcast. My name is Jamie Lee Owen. I'm a passenger experience lead at Metro Trains Melbourne, as well as a member of the PTA ANZ Emerging Mobility Leaders Committee. And I'm so excited to be your special guest host of Women Who Move Nations, the public transport podcast. Our guest today is Joanne McDonald, the Group Company Secretary and Chief Legal and Risk Officer at Calcian. Joanne has extensive in-house legal experience and proven negotiation skills across a diverse range of industries, including transport, tourism and marine, energy, resources, oil and gas, infrastructure and utilities. I'm so excited to have this chat with you today, Jo. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jamie. It's great to be here and have a chance to speak with you. So, Joe, you studied law and economics and then entered the workforce as a solicitor. Did you think years of company law and contracts was going to lead you to the world of public transport? I think when anyone starts their first full-time job, it's hard to know where life is going to lead you. At university, I chose to study both economics, accounting and law and almost went down the uh, economics path as I was very drawn to economic models and applying them to the world around us. I think I was generally trying to understand how it worked. Uh, and then when I first started working as a lawyer in the Mallisons in Melbourne, I received some really great training and, and exposure to a whole range of industries. So the short answer is I would never have expected to be in transport then. However, being curious about industries and, and learning different systems and the way they work, I would have said 30 years ago, if you'd asked me, would I be working in a world that's connected with people's everyday lives, involves systems and a real strong purpose driving why we do what we do, then the answer would have been yes. Oh my goodness, that's such a good reflection, Joe, on the systems and the purpose and value of PT and, and how your education and experience has led you there. Um, I imagine you're quite experienced at making tough decisions. Can you talk a little bit about the internal framework you bring for considering and weighing risks and benefits and how you influence others for change? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Uh, It applies at a couple of different levels for me. I guess my experience across different industries and a number of different roles, I've trained in law, economics, negotiation and management, plus also uh, had that invaluable life experience of, of getting things wrong along the way. And I think All of those things contribute to what's my internal framework and um, I have had to face some pretty tough situations to test it out. So I'm going to do this in two levels. First of all, I guess from my framework perspective, first is having an open mind. Um, I analyse what I know, what I don't know, what decision is needed now. And actually, as I went through different situations, learning what can wait until later and hesitating at times is actually really useful. So I stand back and think about what I'm missing. And then I guess the last piece of my framework is would it pass the newspaper test if someone went through that decision for me and put it on the front page of the newspaper? 
So I can do all of that pretty quickly uh, over the years when I've become comfortable sort of with how I do it in my head. I think that's really different than to when we've got to communicate that to influence others, which was the second part of your question. So I guess in terms of influencing others, I find that if I have conviction, it tends to shine through. And that's why going through that internal decision framework, I guess, is really important to me. I can't convince others if I haven't convinced myself first. I try to always be open-minded, so I don't assume that I know everything or that there will be a clear answer. Sometimes life is just a bit grey and murky and we still have to move forward. So then for me, it's about communicating why I would make that choice and why I believe in that choice and then listening to others about why they may not think that's the best way forward. And I, that communication and cross-feedback to me is where that influence for change comes from, both changing myself and changing other people along the way. That is such a great, thoughtful explanation and response, Joe. Thank you so much. I It sounds like that's a, what makes you, what I imagine is, is a very good leader, is explaining that framework, taking people along the journey, hearing that feedback and then incorporating it back into the way that you've considered things and really hearing people around you. That's That's really great. Yeah, look, I think that conviction and each of us approach it in different ways is absolutely critical to to risk weighing risks and benefits because we're all different, but we work for organisations where you've actually got to have alignment on risk when you make business decisions as opposed to your own personal decision. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. So we're going to be talking about sustainability today, and I'd like to talk to you about sustainability both in our industry, in the shared understanding we have of the term, but I'd also like to take the opportunity to talk about sustainability throughout a career. Can you tell me, Joe, what does a sustainable career look like to you? This is a really vexed question for me. And the reason it's vexed is knowing that others may listen. And I'm very aware that I think sustainable career is different for everyone and it reflects your own personal standards and characteristics. So I'm always hesitant to share my views on this because we're each different. But Looking at, I guess, what I looked for in my career at a young age was really progression to leadership level, tangible achievements such as delivering a successful project or or transaction. And that came with it. The ability to do those interesting projects, et cetera, became easier and I guess more sustainable in the way you look at it when you could achieve certain things that led to a title change or the outward description of the job. And I guess in terms of What does the sustainable career look like for me personally? I think one of the things I wished I had realised earlier was really that it was not about so much what I could contribute to a, a project, but also the give and take. So for me, the sustainable career was really the people I work with. So working directly with people who respected and acknowledged what I contributed, because I found that was very important to me keeping on going. So I was naturally task-oriented, so I wanted to see the tangible outcomes and tick off the the lists to sort of confirm that my effort was creating an outcome. But as I went through my career, I guess that people aspect and the affirmation along the way uh, led to an ability to really grow outside of my immediate tasks. And I think that, for me, is a really sustainable an important thing for a sustainable career because that ability to continue to grow, to be curious, to learn, to take on more challenges, I think naturally leads to good career progression in whichever way 
you personally want to progress it. And I've seen lots of people take lots of different paths. Sometimes they go sideways. Sometimes other people perceive them as going backwards. But for that person, it's the right choice if they've actually checked in about how it fits with them. So I guess for me, the most one of the most important things I've seen is that sustainable career for me is the ability to work with an employer who gives and takes, you know, gives me permission to explore new areas, to become curious, but also balance it alongside nurturing my personal life. You can't get interested and take on more if you're exhausted and you're not fit and healthy. And and so that flexibility for me has been, um, I guess, key to continuing and looking for that sustainable career. Yeah, great. I know you said you were cautious of of seeming to answer that question for everybody, but I think what you touched on there about the ability to continuously learn and grow is applicable to everybody. So thank you so much. That's really great insight. And now let's talk about sustainability in the mobility industry. Public transport is by nature, purpose and design already a more sustainable transport option for the planet, often for communities and individuals financially and for our road infrastructure. But arguably, there's a ways to go to further improve that sustainability. So what does the most desirable sustainable transport model look like for the Australia and New Zealand region? Thanks, Jamie. Really important topic. And I guess one of the things that draws me to the transport industry is that I believe public transport is fundamentally about people. It's about designing networks to connect people efficiently to where they need to go with the sort of service they want to use. And therefore, you know, it must be the focus to increase usage of public transport as a key fundamental to becoming a more sustainable transport option for everyone. In Australia, we have the benefit of abundant natural resources and climate that can help with the renewable energy sector and its impact on how we move forward with public transport. And Kelsey, I'm very proud to say, has a really unique value proposition as a global multimodal industry leader which sees us really well positioned to collaborate and innovate in a way that is limited for a single government agency. Because for us, it's about drawing from our experiences in different states and different countries and innovating and looking at how we design and deliver global best practice with a local market knowledge. And the solutions can look really different from one region or community to the next. That really gives us that sustainable transport future that enables that customer delivery and effectively to get more people on the bus, to get more people on the ferry uh, and to move us in an efficient way for everyone's benefit. I'm really, really proud, you know, as part of Kelsey and we've delivered sort of the largest electrification of an Australian bus depot in Sydney and we have possession of the two of the first hydrogen buses in Australia. And we're really, I guess, turning more broadly to the sustainable model, the advocation of turn up and go modelling, if you've caught a bus in a go zone, uh, rather than traditional timetabling of services, those sorts of innovations that deliver what customers want, uh, for me, become, you know, what public transport is looking like as a sustainable transport model. Customers want safe, reliable, but they also want convenient passage, which remains affordable to them. And that gets really complex when it involves not just buses and ferries, but trains and trams. And you've got to cater for the, the rise in sort of the smaller on-demand buses to get people into a, a transport main corridor or service trunk. And I guess that comes down to the other comment I'd make on this one is 
the most sustainable transport model when you're looking at Australia and New Zealand is really getting people onto mass transport corridors to help them get to where they want to go efficiently. We have a great, gorgeous country in Australia, but we do have large distances at times over which we need to provide public transport, and that can be a really tricky thing to do efficiently and and sustainably for people. Yeah, great. Thank you. I I loved what you said about public transport being about people. I think Stephanie Wiggins, who's been a guest on on the podcast before, the CEO of LA Metro, said that public transport is social justice. And that's something that I've I've really taken to heart. It sounds like Kelsey has delivered some really exciting initiatives in that space. And there's loads of jurisdictions, both in the ANZ region and more globally, where these initiatives are happening. But it's also really complex, right? You touched on that a little bit about, for example, Australia has such a great distance to travel for a lot of our population. So when we're talking about a long-term strategy with really complex interdependencies that require government authorities, operators and suppliers to come together to deliver. What does that look like day to day for you and how have you operationalized, I guess, strategy throughout your career to achieve a long-term goal or milestone? Thanks, Jamie. Um, yeah, look, long-term strategy can be really daunting uh, as a thought when you start. I've had the benefit of a couple of really great mentors or, or leaders, I guess, that I've worked with, particularly when I first moved into commercial management strategy, so looking at long-term infrastructure projects. And I guess the way I operationalise strategy is trying to visualise where that be it project, function, service, company uh, in what I do now want to be in a particular time frame. So usually in strategic planning, that'd be three or five years. And generally, I would start that with a workshop with key stakeholders internally who I try to get a vision of what, what does it look like? What does good look like? Where do we want to be in, let's go, three years' time? And then working back from that endpoint, thinking about the steps to get there. I think that way, one of the complex things or the hardest things is to simply get started. And that ability to do things, and I often work with my particular team members, I break that three years then down into every 90 days so we can check back in, how are we going towards that goal? Now, one of the areas that I've really had a new challenge for myself in, in particularly in the last six months, is thinking about climate change and a much longer transition plan period of, say, 25 years instead of three or five years. But it's been really interesting for me that I guess it's the same process that we go through. So understanding the different factors that influence the situation, what are the drivers of the various stakeholders, collaborating internally because you've got different inputs with different perspectives, including on different views on the horizon over which things will happen. And then really opening that up to others who are stakeholders, be they government uh, counterparts, so people that we can ask questions about, you know, other operators or suppliers. It's amazing to me when you when you actually open up, you still got to do the work, but you open up certain questions for that feedback loop, how much that can improve thinking outside the box, actually impacting on your strategy from a longer term perspective and just finding out what's happening elsewhere and being open to what that is. So sorry, that was a long answer to your question, but uh, I guess in terms of operationalising day to day, chunking it up for having an end goal, coming back to the steps and starting, 
it's it's often uh, hard to just get started and make your way down that path and then being open to input and seeking that input as you change uh, strategy as you go along the world is uh, never standing still for us if you're enjoying women who move nations make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast platforms and rate the show to help more people find us Follow the Public Transport Association Australia New Zealand to learn more about public transport and to keep up to date with all our events and activities. Our website is ptaanz.org. We're also on LinkedIn. Just search Public Transport Association Australia New Zealand. And our Twitter handle is ptaanz underscore. If you have any feedback or questions, please send us an email at info at ptaanz.org. Yeah, that's that's wonderful, Joe. Absolutely no need to apologise. We, we love long answers. That was really amazing insight and reflection. And I guess something that stood out for me was being really clear on your, your end goal. If you're not clear on what you're trying to achieve, how you get there is going to be very difficult. Yeah, and that's not to say our end goal doesn't continue to change. Absolutely. <laughs> And um, on that, what do you think are current or future barriers to success for our emerging leaders in the mobility industry? Is it something like goalposts continually moving? And what advice would you give them to prepare for those barriers? Yeah, look, I think you you touch on a very, you know, we've obviously had massive change with uh, COVID-19 impact on the way we work, the way we live, the communities, how we travel. So I think for me, a very current barrier is that returning to the workplace and public transport, you know, getting people back on public transport. But more to the sort of barriers from uh, emerging leaders in mobility, there's a whole cohort of people who've been studying at home. Some of them have never caught public transport or a school bus or in recent years or really being used to using public transport to get out and about to attend a live event of some sort. So I think there has been that comfort in studying and working from your own home, but it does give very limited opportunity for informal interactions with colleagues and peers in the workplace. And I guess I just reflect back on I went interstate for my first year of work and uh, into a very large law firm who uh, did fantastic training. One of the experiences I had there was in my second rotation, I was put in a little desk within a partner's room. And what that meant was that it was a little daunting in the first place to always be sitting in an office with someone else. But every time there was a phone call, every time there was a meeting, I got exposure to a level and involvement and a level around the informal interactions that could not have happened if I hadn't actually traveled on and that time time a tram into Melbourne and actually sat there Uh, so I think for me one of the key barriers we've got is that post-COVID sort of interaction of getting people out there networking attending events meeting people uh, and sharing what they can do and and sort of learning that more informal way and uh, prioritizing doing that over and above the comfort of staying at home. That's a really great response, Joe. I think you've um, hit on a benefit that I've personally had in my career in hearing incidental conversations my leaders are having because you hear that and you are like, okay, well, that's how my leader speaks. That's how my leader navigates these conversations. That's how my leader is a representative of this organisation. So it's such an invaluable learning experience. It's incredible that you 
that you got that as well. Particularly in the public transport industry, I think, you know, that when considering career options, it's probably not an industry that many individuals sort of think of initially. And I think many of the leaders that I've met within the industry have actually studied in all sorts of uh, different sort of industries to start with. But there's been this real move around, I guess, when you think about sustainable industries, green transport solutions, I think there's a really unique opportunity here for us in the transport industry to draw on those different skills and capabilities, but also for people from other industries to really understand what we're looking for and help contribute to the way forward. That would be my other comment on that, Jamie. Absolutely. You've touched on something uh, kind of critical there is how people come to the transport industry. It's often in a, a little bit of a roundabout way or actually more appropriately is probably with a lot of other industries experience. Is there anything that you wished you'd focused on earlier in your career that you'd advise other emerging professionals to focus on having had that varied experience? I think I'd put more focus on, I guess, the communication of what I was doing. So that really goes to having that, I know you'll hear hear people talk about the elevator pitch. I can't actually emphasise enough how important that is. So particularly the roles I do, they're quite hard to explain because they tend to be very broad. But really getting that communication about what is my function, what's my contribution, what's my role, and putting it in a way that explains that really clearly because you should never assume that people know the value of your role or the experience you bring. People are busy, so making that easy for them then opens up, in my mind, doors for them to invite you back into a conversation or a meeting or an opportunity. Whereas, yeah, if you don't do that, then by not being proactive, you don't open up those doors. So that's one where bringing your own achievements to the fore for others I guess I was not I wasn't so bold as to do that in my own mind to start with but I think it's not about being bold it's actually about sharing what you can do to grow as a person and with others. Thank you so much that is such great advice I think you've just kind of re-articulated what an elevator pitch should be at least for me it's so much clearer now what is my function what is my role what is my contribution that is such great advice thank you. Now, we've spoken a bit about the wide array of opportunities and initiatives to make public transport more sustainable. Can you tell us about the range of skills needed to make these initiatives happen and what roles and opportunities are available for my peers, say, in the Emerging Leaders cohort? Yeah, thanks, Jamie. I think the skills in terms of the range to make, as you say, we've got such a wide range of opportunities and initiatives. So I think in terms of the skills that people come we all come from you know, a range of initial, I'll call them skill sets, be they university degrees or, or within trade. So I think there's nothing limiting about where you come from. It really is, what is it that is you can collaborate on? Knowing how you might contribute, but that again, but you know, fostering those relationships and being open-minded, thinking about the big picture while We've sort of got a bit of a niche market understanding in terms of public transport, but to make those initiatives and skills happen, we've got to draw on everyone. We've got to draw on the communication skills. We've got to draw on the technical skills that go to the project planning, and we've got to draw from, I guess, our own experience of we all get on 
certainly I get on a bus, um, but we catch public transport. So linking your thoughts about how would your skills and opportunities actually turn into innovation is the best way that I've found to create opportunities. It makes you think about it from a customer perspective and therefore if it's good for a customer, it makes it easy, then it increases the usage of that. So I think for me it's that roles and opportunities are available. You have to think of it differently and if you can think of it from a customer or where you want to be perspective, it really does open up for all peers, you know, your peers generally in the emerging sort of leaders sect because you've got something to share. That's so great. Thank you. It's incredibly exciting because there's actually something for everyone. I think you're maybe one of the first people I've heard talk about the the roles and skills that are available in a different way by you know the advice giving the advice that you need to think about it differently. What what can you bring? Can you tell us a little bit about the skills and capabilities you're personally really grateful to have developed throughout your time in the public transport industry? I guess partnerships are everywhere and everything in public transport. We're not on our own. At Calcium in particular, we join with government, industry and suppliers, and we have to plan and strategize, advocate, negotiate, deliver and measure to get people moving to where they want to go to. So for me, I guess the skills and capabilities I've been really grateful having is to manage and listen to situations where different stakeholder interests are at play. I very much learned, for me, particularly when I dealt with quite difficult oil and gas joint ventures, that that negotiating skill which allowed me a framework for my thinking then made it less personal in terms of some of those discussions and really focusing on the issues at stake rather than the emotions at stake in in the room at times. And I think it's such an important thing I'm grateful for because it enables me to be part of people sharing views and experiences and also to have different specialists contributing to one deliverable all focused on getting us there rather than where we come from. So the key thing, I guess, from skills and capabilities that I'm most grateful for is being able to be part of and recognise the power of partnerships so we know our strengths and can identify the challenges and how to overcome them in the way we want to move forward. Yeah, incredible. Nobody delivers a a rail network on their own, right, or a, a light rail network or a bus network on their own. There's so many partnerships, not even just at organisational level, but with our peers that that would be really beneficial in in progressing our agendas forward. It gives us great insights into what we do well and what we could do better at times. Absolutely. Um, Now, PTA ANZ is planning lots of industry-leading events and initiatives for the next 12 months. They've recently delivered a zero emissions symposium with industry leaders. What are you most excited about that's upcoming? really zero emission buses. And this feeds off of the recent zero emission symposium that PTA ANZ had. It's a whole of industry approach and really looking at zero emission buses and fleets. We bring together suppliers, operators and government partnerships to really deliver those sort of brilliant customer experiences. And I think for me, that's the most exciting thing in terms of the, the events that PTA ANZ have planned is really bringing together those people and they're doing it in different ways, different forums. So really excited about 
scaling up to meet the longer-term goals that we've got, how to make it achievable in different locations. Again, there's some events coming up focused mostly on how we innovate and collaborate across those partnerships around Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, great. I think that's something that I'm very excited that's upcoming as well. Um, There's such incredible innovation uh, in that space with all the differing uh, zero emissions vehicles. So it's, yeah, it's really great. It's really fun. So I think this is my last question, but I could metaphorically, of course, throw a dart at any PTA ANZ conference or forum and likely hit 10 different women who inspired me in this industry. So who in the mobility industry inspires you? A female who inspires me in the mobility industry is a lady called Magda Robertson, who was general manager of Torrance Connect Trams here in Adelaide and is now chief operating officer down in Auckland for Auckland One Rail. So Magda, I guess the reason that she inspires me is she really changed my view of being a public transport manager. Her customer knowledge was second to none. She caught her own transport to work every day and she led by focusing on on how to bring out the best in each of her teams. So inspirational and a bit of a shout out to Magda. The other person who in the mobility industry inspires me is one of our directors uh, called Neil Smith, who has an extraordinary capability to think about network systems and public transport and also for helping others in the way that he approaches uh, the networks but also thinking about the impact on communities. And uh, he's been doing that since he was a teenager and is an extraordinary person over a lifetime of contribution to the public transport industry. That's so great. I think it's important to be inspired by people who really walk the walk and talk the talk. And anytime I've asked that question of somebody, their response has been a person who lives and breathes public transport or and knows their customer base so well and, and what a customer's priorities are. So that's really great to, to hear about those two. I'll have to go and, and LinkedIn stalk them. <laughs> Well, I guess we'll wrap up then. Joe. it's been so great speaking to you today, hearing about your impressive career, everything you've learned along the way. I personally, I've been scribbling madly as you've been talking because you've, you've just given some really wonderful advice. Um, so thank you for being so open and for joining us and sharing your insights. Thanks, Jenny. It's a great opportunity to, to share and talk with you today. That was Joanne McDonald, the Group Company Secretary and Chief Legal and Risk Officer at Kelsian. I've been your guest host, Jamie Lee Owen, and you've been listening to Women Who Move Nations, the public transport podcast. I hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you for listening to Women Who Move Nations, the public transport podcast. This series is produced by Dylan Adler and Sophia Dickinson for the Public Transport Association, Australia, New Zealand. To find out more, please visit our website, ptaanz.org. Tune in for more soon.